Okay, this is part two in some ways and part five in another. We, my wife and I spent a few weeks, a couple months back, talking about mountain-moving prayer, which is an idea of Jesus, not us. <laughs> it's one of those things that's like it's too big for us. If we, it was our idea, they would be crazy. And it is a stunning reality that Jesus teaches his followers that as you walk with him and get filled with the Spirit and get to know the character and nature of God, you can make mountain-moving prayers. And so we dug into that at greater level last week. And where we honed in specifically was the Lord's Prayer, and I want to go back to it very briefly. Matthew 6, 9 and 10. Jesus says, Pray then like this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And just as a quick but important reminder, this is Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. The Lord's Prayer is a response, a direct response to the disciples coming to him and saying, teach us how to pray. So it really should be called the disciples' prayer or the Lord's prayer and the disciples' prayer. He's teaching us how to pray, meaning this prayer, these, this prayer that's so powerful and so bold, Jesus does not have in his mind that it's reserved for him only. He's literally teaching his disciples how to pray. And we got a deep into the Greek last week, which in this case was extremely important. I encourage you to listen to the message if you haven't. But a very quick summary is those two verbs of your kingdom come, your will be done. In the Greek, those are both imperative. In the imperative tense, meaning they are commands. Like, for example, where Jesus says, hey, you speak to the mountain and you say, be taken up and thrown into the sea. That's a command. You're not asking the mountain. You're not begging the mountain. And in that moment, you're not even asking God. You are speaking to this situation and commanding it to change under the lordship of Jesus. It's the exact same idea here. These tenses are imperative. Jesus teaches us to make commands in prayer, in the Lord's prayer. And the two verbs trans tr translated that come and be done can better be translated, or I say they give the nuance in a better way, arrive now. Like come has the sense of an arrival of something that is not yet here, aka the kingdom of God. As it is in heaven, so also on earth. So there's a sense of a command for something to arrive now. And then the second verb, the be done, is a sense of come into being. It's a, it's a producing, it's like a pregnancy term where something comes into being. It gets created and produced. And Jesus says, command in prayer, come into being, will of yours. And then he puts that all together of, well, what's he talking about? There's no, there's no 
verb in the last clause, as it is in heaven, so also on earth. That's just the description of what is meant to arrive now, what is meant to come into being. As it already is in heaven, so also on earth. That's what Jesus is teaching you to command in prayer, arrive now, kingdom of God. Come into being as it is in heaven, so also on earth. And if this wasn't Jesus teaching it, I would not get close to this because this is some serious stuff. But it's Jesus, so trust him. You are worthy to make these kind of prayers. You are taught to make these kind of prayers. You have the authority as a child of God to make these kind of prayers. You have the identity in Christ as his representative on earth to make these kind of prayers. Jesus doesn't mess around when someone says, hey, teach us to pray. He's not gonna give you bad stuff. He means it. This is how you should pray. Or maybe a little bit better, this is how we can learn to pray because we wanna have grace for the journey. We're all on a journey. We want to learn to pray like this because this can be foreign. This is foreign. This is different. We wrestle through this. But there's a learning journey. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's why it says it on the wall. Methetes, disciple. It simply means learner, lifelong learner. As a follower of Jesus, that should be our mindset. That's what all of life is about. I never stop learning and growing to become more like Jesus, to, to walk in the promises of God, to step into all that God has for me. He's never done. There's always more. He can always be more personal, powerful, present, real in our life. We can always become more like Jesus and more effective in being like Jesus to the world around us. That's like the heartbeat of life. And so it applies to prayer. Don't get intimidated if praying like this seems very weird, difficult, foreign, ineffective. That's okay. Just get on the journey. Get around other people who pray like this. Get around other people who pray like this and have testimonies of how it's been effective. And you learn, you catch it. Whoa, maybe I can start praying in this way. Maybe I can speak to some situations in my life and, and watch a, a little mountain move. And then it'll give me confidence to pray a little bit bigger mountain and see it move. And we're made to move mountains in community. Don't forget that. So we don't just go at it alone. Let me pick the biggest mountain in the world. I am going to change all the, the, blah, 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 the geopolitical. Blah, blah, blah. I'm going to do it alone. We're made to move mountains in community. That's part of it too. That's why the body of Christ exists. Okay. So this is how Jesus wants us to learn to pray. Learning is the key word, growth is a process. And I wanna give us one example of how even the great Peter grew into this as well. Acts 3, one to 10, we did look at this verse not too long ago on Easter, but there's a, there's a different nuance that I wanna bring out this morning. Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man that was lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John. And they said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. 
But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong and leaping up, he stood and began to walk. He entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were all filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Rise up and walk. Guess what? Those are both commands. Those are in the imperative tense. Peter is not begging. Peter is not even asking. He is commanding. He is speaking directly to the situation, the mountain that needs to move, and he is commanding the mountain to move. This is exactly what Jesus promised Peter could do. But let's remember again, now this is back to kind of that part of that Easter message. Peter's a real person. He is not a Marvel superhero. He has massive flaws. His, he has character weaknesses. He betrayed Jesus and disowned him. He's a flawed, broken, uneducated idiote, as Acts 4 says. It's in the Bible. Who is just simply following Jesus, learning growing, and stepping into greater and greater promises of God. Here's the specific promise. Back to Mark 11, mountain-moving prayer. Listen to the promise from Jesus. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And, and pause for a second. Jesus cursed the fig tree the last time they walked by it. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. So, pause again. The disciples are impressed with Jesus' power to make commands in prayer and see it happen. The disciples are impressed with Jesus' ability to make commands in prayer. The last time they walked by a fig tree, Jesus cursed it and said, you're gonna die. Now, a whole host of reasons why. Let's not focus on that right now. Let's focus on Jesus makes commands in prayer and it works. And the disciples are impressed. But what does Jesus do? He flips the script script, and says, oh, you're impressed that I can do this? No. <laughs> be, be excited about what you can do. Amen. Here it is. Is that not what he's saying right now? Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered, and Jesus says, have faith in God. He's talking to Peter and all of them. Have faith in God. Truly, I say to you that Whoever, oh, guess what? Who just got included in that? You did. Not Peter. He said, I'm talking to Peter, but now whoever. So this is, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and throw it into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, what ask Whatever you ask in prayer, believe you have already received it and it will be yours. Now, we went into that a lot last week. And what does that look like? That's the whole, as it already is in heaven, so on earth. That's what we're believing, that that is the will of God. 
That's how we command, arrive now, kingdom of God, as it is already done in heaven, so also on earth. We're asking, declaring, commanding for the kingdom of God to break into our reality. And Jesus is saying, though, for this moment, this is the promise that Jesus made to Peter quite a long time ago that is now fulfilled in Acts 3, where Jesus said, yeah, hey, Peter, you're impressed, <laughs> back in Mark 11, you're impressed that I can command a fig tree to die? Man, God has so much more for you, you have no idea. You are gonna command mountains to move. And that is exactly what happens here in Acts chapter three. Peter did not beg God, he did not even ask. He spoke to the situation because he knew the will of God. He knew the character of God. He knew the heart of God. He knew what it is already in heaven, as it is in heaven. And so with authority, he spoke out in faith and commanded the mountain to move and line up with the will of God as it already is in heaven. That is the fulfillment of the promise. But here's What's awesome, Jesus said whoever in that promise. So as extraordinary as this miracle is in Acts 3, the message is not supposed to be that Peter is the special one, stand in awe of him like some untouchable hero. That is the exact opposite of the message that we're supposed to hear. The heroes in the Bible, one of the things that to me, gives so much credibility to the Bible is the flaws are not hidden. They're right out there. Peter looks like an absolute fool, an idiote, a betrayer. He looks awful. He's a prideful, arrogant idiot. He stands in front of Jesus and says, when Jesus says, oh, you guys are all gonna betray me, he says, he stands up in front of his best friends and says, they all are gonna betray you, but I would never betray you. I'll die for you. What a jerk. I mean, can, let's, can I just be honest? In real life, how is that gonna go over if you do that among your 12 best friends? That is not high character. That is arrogant. That is rude. That is unkind. That's just a broken person. He's flawed and he doesn't even follow through. He betrays Jesus in the most pathetic way of not even being willing to a, a slave girl who at the time, status-wise, is the lowest, like has no opinion, is, is worthless in her opinion culturally, and for two different slave girls, he runs in shame and says, I don't even know him. Are you that bad? Because <laughs> look what happens in Acts 3 extraordinary miracles that look a whole lot like Jesus. The message that we're supposed to get is this is for all of us. Mountain moving prayer is for all of us. It is not for the few superheroes. There are no superheroes in the Bible except for Jesus. There is only one who is worthy of praise. The rest are strugglers on a journey who say, hey, I believe, help my unbelief. I won't betray you. Oh, I betrayed you. Give me grace, Father. Oh my gosh, and now I'm getting transformed. 
It's you. It's me. This is the good news. Mountain-moving prayer is for all of us. doesn't matter where you are today. Just get on the journey. Say yes to Jesus today. What is he saying to you today? That's really all that ever matters. What is he saying to you today? You put together a string of those, Acts 3 can become your life. If it can happen for Peter, it can happen for you and me. That's the gospel. That's the good news. All right. So that's last week where we didn't, well, that was the bonus version. We needed to get there last week, but we didn't. So kind of put a bow on that, mountain-moving prayer. And now we want to move forward and attack another aspect of mountain-moving prayer and in some ways a less-talked-about reality of the spiritual warfare that's behind the scenes in mountain-moving prayer, which to Christians, this has just got to be our basic worldview, as Paul said in Ephesians 6, that we do not wrestle, battle, fight against flesh and blood, but against the powers, principalities that are in those heavenly places. Heavenly armies are at war right now. Khalid did a beautiful job talking about that in our worship time this morning, praying that, sensing that, that there is darkness. That's real. This present darkness, Jesus describes the earth as. Under the authority of Satan, that's a terrifying reality, that he's the prince of this world, this present darkness. And yet, the light is with us, in us, upon us, to push back the darkness. And so we're going to look this morning at an aspect of that. And it was it's very cool, as we were praying about this, she was praying about this week's message, I was separate places, and she felt really stirred up about our prayers and their connections to angel armies and how that connects with the spiritual warfare that takes place behind the scenes and helping us to put more tools in our tool bag that God has given us in making commands in prayer to see breakthrough as it is in heaven on earth. We need to know the weapons that we've got. And so that's part of where this message is coming from, about our, the connection with making commands in prayer and angel armies. And what was really cool is as, as Don felt led to that, I was doing my own study, and I had already felt led separately to Acts 12, which at the time I thought was bringing out a very different point. We're going to get there at the end. But as then she brought and shared about the angels, it's all right there. So it just felt like the Holy Spirit was lining up while we were doing our own study and then coming together to work on the message. There's a, a beautiful uh, symphony there that I believe God did to, to stamp that he wants us to hear about the angel armies this morning and how making commands and what it does to the angel armies is an absolutely practical tool for your life today, right now, in your desire to see, as it is in heaven, breakthrough on earth. Before we go into the, all this really exciting stuff about the angels, which is the angel armies, um, I wanted to give a little bit of background because it's easy just to think, you know, our world is kind of the main point. 
our, or our world is the beginning of existence and the physical realm that we see, our problems, you know, the people, the issues that we have in the world are the primary thing going on. And um, I want to read Ephesians 6, 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And then it goes into, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. So I think what I wanted to point out to give a background and healthy perspective on this is that the kingdom of God filled with angel armies, like we're talking, when you, when you have a kingdom, you have soldiers, you have armies, you have leadership, you have royalty, right? And the kingdom of God and his angel armies existed long before we were ever even made, long before humanity was even made. So there was this battle in the heavenly realms. You know, Satan fell and you've got basically the enemy against God. And so this war, what is that? It's a phone. Okay. <laughs> Can we shut it off? <laughs> Anyways, um, sorry. <laughs> got a little distracted. Um, what was I saying? God, <laughs> no, seriously. Spiritual warfare. Okay. This spiritual warfare, these angel armies, this kingdom of God filled with angel armies. I mean, the, the kingdom of God is not just God. He's got a kingdom. He's got a kingdom. And there are all sorts of verses that we're going to go over. And the encouragement here is that we are not alone, is that what we see and the things that look impossible to us are not ultimate reality. So as we speak out to the impossible things and command them to line up with the kingdom of God as Jesus taught us to in Matthew 6, we are lining up with the ultimate reality of what ex who and what existed first and is the ruler of this entire universe. Amen. Right? That's good. I have nothing to say. <laughs> you want to go right into the angelic stuff? Rock and roll. Oh, okay. Let me get my... I thought you had something to say to the background. Okay. I already did my intro. All right. Tag, you're it. Okay, well, this whole thing was just super, super exciting to me. To, um, there's a lot of different verses, and are all of them in the lift notes? I actually got some additional ones that I think. Okay. Oh, be careful on time. Okay. All right, so we went into the Lord's Prayer being, Arrive now, kingdom of yours. Come into being, will of yours. As it is in heaven, so also upon earth, right? Okay, so, and then we're, in our minds, it's kind of, you wonder what happens in prayer, right? We're just kind of like, well, I'm praying, and what exactly is going on? Well, these kingdoms, these kingdoms of angel armies and demonic armies are actually fighting. There's actually a war because one kingdom is trying to be established over the other, and that's what we're entering into. 
So as we partner with God, we have this privilege. And this is one of my favorite verses, and I have mentioned it um, multiple times. But um, I'm going to first, do you think I should go into Hebrews 1 first or Psalm 103? I want to do Psalm 103. I could just intro that. You could do Psalm yeah. 103. Why don't you want to do that Yeah, first? sure. Yeah. So before we hit well, Psalm 103, yeah, <clears throat> let's jump into uh, Hebrews 1.14. It is in your lift notes. And it's just a quick picture that begins a description of the role of angels. It says, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So they're sent out to serve on whose behalf? God's people, the saints, sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. And so this is part of that picture that angels fight on our behalf. They're on our side. What's very interesting is there's that word that they are sent out. Are they not all ministering spirits? Sent out. That's a very important word in the New Testament. It's the word where we get apostle. It's apostolos. Literally translated, a sent one or sent out. So it's the same exact word that Jesus uses in John 20, 21, where he says, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And so there's this picture of being sent out on mission with God. And so Jesus was sent out on mission with God. Jesus sends us out on that same mission with God. And the angels are sent out on our behalf on the mission of God. And so that's very encouraging. And it begs the question though, here's a really fun one. Let's jump here. How are they sent out? What activates them to be sent out? Let's go to Daniel chapter 10, verses 10 to 13. You want me to go? Yep. Okay, all right. This is exciting, I love this passage. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For now, I have been sent to you. I have been sent to you. That is the same word. And when he had spoken this word over me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, so he's praying, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. Boom. Okay, now this next part. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. So now that word prince um, is also in other translations uh, uh, translated as commanders. And what it means in the Hebrew, it just basically means it's like one who is in authority in, the, in, in an army, like in, in the ranks of God. It's one who is in authority. So in response to Daniel's words, agreeing with God, calling forth the kingdom of God, the angels, the angel armies are 
sent to help us, to help Daniel, God's servants, on this mission to see the kingdom of God come to earth. And what I love is this also paints that very broad and not myopic picture of our world is the only world, but that our world is actually not the whole, not ultimate reality, you know? It's a small, small little thing, but the battle is in the heavenly realms, right? And um, I actually, uh, this one was another one. I actually just want to read real quick before we go into Psalm 103. And, and I love this. This is 2 Kings um, 6, verse 5. Oh, 15. Ha, missed the one. Um, when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. So they're surrounded by Enemy horses and chariots. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Um, and the servant's like, there's nobody with us. It's just us, right? Is it Elisha? Yeah. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked <laughs> and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Okay, so this idea of angel armies is not some weird thing that's like, ooh, that's a little weird. We need to only focus on God. I'm not so sure that that's theologically correct. It's in the Bible. It is all over the place. And another verse that I also want to bring up is Matthew 26, 53. This is not in your notes. This is just Jesus. This is a word from Jesus. This is just to show us that the whole idea of angel armies is normal. It's just what is. This is God's reality. This is what exists. And this is Jesus' words. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Jesus is like, well, duh, this is how it is, guys. You know? So if this is what Jesus is saying, it's important. And I think it puts a fire inside of us and a wind in our sails to know that we are not fighting alone. We have the kingdom of God. You know, and, and another verse that I really like is Psalm 46, 7 in the Passion Translation, which this guy does an amazing job of really, truly translating. Here he comes, the commander, the mighty Lord of angel armies is on our side. The God of Jacob fights for us. And so part of that is the privilege and responsibility if angels are sent out by our prayers, which Daniel, that picture clearly demonstrates, by your words, I have come, I have been sent because of your words. So angels are activated through our faith-filled prayers and commands. And if that's the truth, which it clearly is, then don't leave the angelic armies of God on the sidelines in your life part of the tool bag, we get to activate them in prayer. What an incredible reality. Thank you. All right. 
So Psalm 103. We'll go there next. Sorry, I'm a little messy. I do things all on paper because I just try to stay away from the screens. The screens are so distracting and take up your mental real estate where I feel like I can't get the fullness of the whisper in the cave when there's a screen. So I have papers and post-its and multiple Bibles and all sorts of stuff all over the place. Um, All right. Psalm 103. This is powerful. Verse 20. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Okay, so they're talking. So on earth, he has armies that do his will. They do his will and they listen to his word. So it is super important that we, tr- that we pray according to his word, that we speak his words, that we speak his will, that, the, that this very, this prayer that we've gone over so often, arrive now, kingdom of yours, come into being, will of yours. As we stand in agreement and command heaven to come, and transform earth as it is in heaven, so also upon upon earth. As they hear these words, they do his word. Did you want to add something? So last week we got into the he, or the Greek quite a bit. Let's do a little Hebrew here. In verses 20 and 21, it's, and it's in your left notes. The key verb in these two verses is do. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers, who do his will. So that word do is the same word in verse 20 and 21. It's almost like a, you know, a poetic parallel there. It's the Hebrew word osei, and check out the sense that it has. To do means to put something into effect entirely. So think about that. To put something into effect, like bringing a law into effect. It might be on the books, but it's not being lived out yet or something, right? You put it into effect, When we declare God's word and his will in prayer, the angels are sent out to put into effect more of God's kingdom on earth. So the angels enforce and expand God's kingdom on earth. They put it into effect. This is such a cool verse because it's a perfect parallel with the Lord's prayer. What's the Lord's prayer about? It's about putting into effect As it is in heaven, so also on earth. And our prayers that Jesus teaches us to make commands arrive now. It's the same exact sense as come into effect, get put into effect, come into being, kind of be produced, be birthed. As it already is in heaven, so also on earth. 
And so that is literally the same exact sense in Psalm 103. And the ante is upped in that it's saying that angels, the angel armies, those spiritual warriors in the heavenlies play a significant role with us on our behalf, fighting for us as we make those faith-filled commands in prayer. As a, a church in general, we have focused on, you know, the devil prowling around and we've attached our faith and empowered the enemy a lot. Oh, of course the enemy's attacking me now. Oh, of course this, oh, of course that. And I wanna be praying and asking God to give us revelation. We've got angel armies at our back. They are literally lining this place. Their weapons are loaded and they are waiting for you to say, er I, come will of God. And they shoot off their weapons and they are fighting against the enemy and they are destroying the enemy kingdoms in the name of their Lord and our Lord, Jesus, right? Um, I lost track of my thoughts because I was actually gonna. Yeah, that was a good one. Did you have something else? I'm done. Oh, okay, but we need to go. Yeah, yeah, okay, let me add uh, one thing real quick. Um, I encourage you at home to look over the notes and just kind of let this marinate with you, in you. The Psalm 103, I mean, the parallels are amazing. The angels do his word, the angels who do his will. And the Lord's prayer is, come into being, will of yours. Come into being, erkomai, come into being, will of God on earth now. And then the angels hear it and they go do it, right? So we don't want to leave the angels bored. And not only that, we want to see the kingdom of God come. We don't want to have greater faith in the power of the enemy. He's roaring around. I mean, he's prowling around like a roaring lion, sure. But who do we serve? We serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. And we need to have a greater faith in our God and in his angel armies that he has sent to earth on our behalf to bring his kingdom and to drive out the devil from every area of our lives and our worlds. All right, amen. Let's close with one quick example of watching this happen in the book of Acts. Always good to see it lived out in the people of God. I don't have it up here, but if you want to turn, it's Acts 12, but it's an easy kind of narrative story, so you can listen along. Verse 1. This is about that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of the unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers, four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people for a public execution. Verse five, so Peter was kept in prison, but here we go, check it out. Earnest prayer was made for him, excuse me, but earnest prayer for him 
was made to God by the church. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side, woke him saying, get up quickly, the chains fell off. The angel said to him, dress yourselves and put on sandals. He did so and he said, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. He went out and followed him, et cetera, et cetera. So there's this amazing release story, but what you see in this passage is a direct example of what we're talking about. It was the prayers of the saints that sent out the angels. Peter is in prison. The situation is dire. James was just beheaded with the sword. Peter is, is gonna face the same fate the next day. And you know what's kind of harsh and, and difficult to see? What it, say, what it doesn't say? The saints didn't gather and pray for James. When Peter was in prison, they gathered and they prayed. And an angel was sent forth. And Peter was set free. I mean, this, this, is, a, this is an interesting, tough passage. You got two leaders of the church. They both get in prison. For one of them, the saints gather and pray. One of them has an angelic encounter and gets sent free. What's the difference? The saints gathered and prayed for one and he was set free. The saints did not gather and pray for the other, and he lost his life. And the author of Acts is trying to highlight it clearly. When Peter shows up the door, and he's set free, in verse 12, it says he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, and there were many gathered together and were praying. That's really the point of this Acts chapter 12. It is showing the power of prayer when saints gather. It sends forth the angels. It moves mountains. It's an incredible responsibility and challenge for us, a privilege. It's all of it to say, don't let the angels sit bored on the sidelines. Jesus says, hey, the, way that I, the same way that I moved mountains, you are gonna move mountains. Believe it. Step into your identity. Step into your authority. It is mountain-moving, earth-shaking, world-changing power. That's what I want for you. Don't give up on it. Even when you see bad things happen, even when you pray and it doesn't come to pass like you think you should, that's happened to the disciples. Jesus basically just said, keep on trucking. Keep on getting to know me. Keep on praying. Grow in your faith. Gather more. Fight the fight together. Climb the mountain together. Do it in community. It's a whole nother message. <laughs> but the beauty is, this is for all of us. Coming back to it. Mountain-moving prayer is clearly the will of Jesus for all of his people. Finish this off. And um, just some healthy perspective, because this is a huge deal. We are basically realizing the reality that these are God's armies. This is how he has ordained 
to bring his kingdom to earth. This battle in the heavenlies has existed before we ever even existed, before humanity existed, right? So this is an encouragement. I encourage you to go back and to read that Daniel 10 verse. Um, there were 21 days that went by before the angel came to Daniel. And the angel, what he said, and I know we've gone over this a number of times, but it is so encouraging. What he said was, as soon as you prayed, I was sent. As soon as you started praying, I was sent. So when we don't see the fig tree wither on the first day, or the mountain move on the first day, or the first year even sometimes, it is so important not to break our agreement, not to grab onto a lie just to make ourselves feel better, Oh well, or, or just because we feel hopeless. Oh, well, I guess it's not God's will. Oh, no. We need to stand in agreement for the will of God to come. The will of God is as it is in heaven, right? So on earth. Um, but it helps us in the perspective to know that there is a battle raging. Just like in Daniel 10, there is a battle he, these, these, these are chief commanders in God's army. These are like the creme de la creme. These guys are like ninja warriors. I mean, like we can't imagine, right? And they, this, one of them was, you know, Gabriel was, was it Gabriel, the first one? Oh yeah, it doesn't say. Michael's the second one, right? Yeah. So he was fighting and fighting and he was stuck. And then delayed three weeks and then Michael was sent, another angel was sent, and finally he got free. So there is a battle, and I feel like the point of the whole, this whole thing is don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. And even sometimes, sometimes there are some battles that we fight so hard against and we still lose. You know, someone dies of cancer or something awful, and that is never the will of God. But somehow the work of the enemy won that, you know, that skirmish. that skirmish, right? But it's still so important to have the perspective, to stay encouraged, to never give up, not to partner with the enemy and say, oh, well, I guess it wasn't God's will, and then effectively take ourselves out of the game and just give Satan all the territory for now and the rest of our lives. But to continue saying, Erkomai, come, kingdom of God, I know the will of my Father in heaven, and to continue calling that down on earth in groups of one and two and three, and to know that there is a battle raging. And even when we haven't seen the manifestation or the full manifestation of what we want to see, that we can rest in faith in knowing and believing the truth that there are powerful things happening powerful things shifting, that the enemy is losing his grasp. He wants you to be discouraged. He wants to blind your eyes. He wants you to feel like, hey, give up. Nothing's happening. Because why? Because he's desperate and he's on his way out. All right. Lord, God, we just thank you. We worship you. God, you are the king of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are the God of angel armies. Angels are not our idea. They're not some weird new age thing. They're your idea. You made them. They are your creation. 
And so, God, we just worship you, and we just ask you to teach us, to give us your spirit, Holy Spirit of revelation, to open the eyes of our hearts, to see you and know you, and to know your ways, to know your ways, that we would with joy and with more fire. God, I pray for an anointing of your fire upon us as we step out in it on adventure with you, with our eyes set so fiercely like flint upon your kingdom, upon your eyes. As we look in your eyes, help us to look in your eyes to say what you're saying over the situations and over the world around us and over the people around us, to bless the people. They are beautiful and made in your image. Help us to call out the gold that you created them to be. Help us to call out what you created our nation to be. Jesus, teach us. Take us. Thank you for taking us on this adventure, and we thank you for your revelation as we step into this week that we would not forget about this message, but we would continue just to talk to you about it, just to ask you to make it real, ask you just, Daddy, God, teach me your ways. Jesus, teach me your ways. How do I partner with you? What does that look like? Give me faith. Open my eyes. Teach me to pray. Teach me to pray out loud and speak to the situations. Fill me with your fire. Grow my faith. God, we're just, we're your children. And we thank you that the kingdom belongs to children. That we don't have to have it all figured out. We don't have to have it all right. But you died on the cross so that we could live, so that we could just come to your throne of grace and sit in your lap and just be your kids. And so, Holy Spirit, we just welcome you. We are excited for this divine adventure as you teach us together as a body to walk more and more in the fullness of you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Dance like David.